Brittany Donaldson. Welcome, finally, to Where Others Won't. How are you? I'm well. How are you? It's good to be here. I'm fantastic. We're talking from about, oh, what, 700 metres down the road? Very close, <laughs> yeah. Good approximation, I would say. <laughs> well, let's start in Toronto because I want to talk to you about your experience with uh, the Raptors and uh, the joy that you and the organization brought to our city in, in going on a championship run and something that was just incredible to live through being in the city. I'd never been in a, in a place, you know, where there's a team like that going on a run and seeing millions of people on the street. So what was that like to, to live through that experience in a place like this? Amazing. Um, yeah, I think I'm still processing it even after, you know, two years after the fact, two and a half years after the fact, but it was, yeah, that was an incredible experience. I was fortunate enough to um, be working in the front office at the time. So, you know, I had, I was able to go to the games and like see the playoff run and all that in person and um, have a small hand and, you know, that, that sort of success. So, um, yeah, can't really describe it still. I'm still like processing everything from, from the games to the parade to, to everything that came after that. But, um, just really grateful for that uh, opportunity and, and to be a part of that. Yeah. A lot of people probably don't know. I mean, not many people pay attention to Toronto in general in the, the big North American sports. And it wasn't too long ago that you know, the franchise were looking at changing their name, for instance, because the, the Raptors name, even they, I think been in the league 20 years, made the playoffs once and, and it was kind of associated with, with losing. And then there's been a, a massive culture change to go from, we might change the name to now this, you could argue that the, the team kind of runs the city, if you will, or you know, Toronto is a basketball city. And so, you know, it's, I want to make sure that I kind of, I try to tell that story as much as I, as I can, because it's, it's so fascinating to have watched that evolution of basketball, but also the Raptors in the city. Yeah. I mean, even, so I'm from the States, I grew up in Iowa and it's a big basketball culture in the Midwest and the States and um, moving to Canada for the, the job with the Raptors um, four and a half years ago. I noticed basketball wasn't very prevalent here, you know, just little things like going to restaurants. You don't see many basketball games on TV. You don't see many kids outside shooting hoops. It's, you know, big hockey culture up here and other sports kind of take precedent over basketball. And after that championship, man, I I've noticed such a big difference in just the little intricacies of like, yeah, you, you notice more sports being broadcasted on TV um, in different places. You notice more kids outside dribbling the ball down the sidewalk. You know, it's just like little things like that. And it was just really, really cool because at first it was unfamiliar. I was like, what do you mean you guys don't, you know, know about all the NBA teams up here, like watch college basketball? Like that, that was not very prevalent. And now it is, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've watched that too. I've been here 12 years now. And so to see... I think when I first got here, which was mind-boggling to me as an Australian, I think you could get a Raptors ticket for seven dollars. Wow! <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even get a beer for that little. Oh, but okay. <laughs> the, 
but yeah, so that was 12 years ago. And, and again, that wasn't, you'd never pack the, the arena out. Um, and to go from that to, yeah, like you described, I can walk down my street to, you know, that, that famous court where the, the television commercial is, isn't far from me. And, and there are kids waiting on the side to get onto the court. There are so many of them down there. And so, yeah, to see that come to life has just been magic. When we were thinking about uh, this episode and what we wanted to talk about, I, I brought a tweet to you that, that you had written about or a thread about toughness and how we coach toughness. And so I, I wanted to dive into that a little bit with you because it was a, a firstly a fascinating thread about your experience um, and some things that were kind of coached into you, but then also the, the knock-on effect of how we think about it from a coaching perspective. And the reason I, I appreciate it so much was, was one, it was, was very honest, but then also it, it captured the lack of thought that we as a coaching community can put into these things like hard work, like toughness, and what they actually mean. And what I mean by that is what they mean to athletes and the behavior that it develops in them. It socializes certain behaviors into them. But just kind of reflecting on, on that tweet and that thread and, and your experience with just toughness in inverted commas. Yeah. How, how, what's your experience been with it? Yeah. So um, specifically that tweet was around having toughness when it comes to injury Um so I played uh, collegiate basketball. So I played high level basketball in the States and it was very competitive. Um, and I played the sport my whole life and, um, you know, it was something that I identified with greatly. And, um, at that level, it was, it was a lot about winning and, um, especially, you know, when winning directly impacts what sort of resources you have or what sort of um, care you get, because <laughs> you know the the money comes in if you're winning, putting more seats in the in the arena and stuff. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the crux of everything was was winning, and it, it kind of overflowed into a lot of different things. And for me personally, I unfortunately underwent several surgeries um, due to injury, and it was kind of um, it started out because I had an injury in high school and it, you know, I just kept kind of aggravating it over time and I kept having wear and tear problems. It was never like a one blow, like distinct injury. It was just like gradual overtime stuff. So, um, the statement that I would hear a lot and not just in college, but, um, throughout my entire life, I guess, playing sports was, I guess not a statement, it's a phrase of just like mental toughness was, was a big one. Um, but just toughness in general. And I had my own idea of what mental toughness was. Nobody, although nobody really explicitly told me what that meant or what that looked like. Um, I formulated my own concept of what that was, but specifically with injury, you know, when I was going through all of these injuries and my teammates as well, that were going through injuries, um, we would often, you know, and I'm not, this isn't specific to, I think my situation, I think this is like a cultural, like systemic thing. Um, we would often, you know, be told things like, um, you need to play through your pain, you know, or you need to, um, 
there's a certain level of injury toughness you need to have. And, um, you know, so you need to sacrifice yourself for your team. And these are like phrases that would be thrown around. And there wasn't really a line drawn where, um, you know, if this becomes detrimental to your health, if, if you are actually harming yourself by playing through your pain, that's not a good thing. That line was never drawn. So for me personally, I just kept playing through my pain because that's what I was told to do. That's what was incentivized for me. Um, that's where I felt like I was being a good teammate. Um, I ended up, you know, hurting myself further. And now I'm dealing with like long-term issues, um, just with like chronic pain and whatnot, because I, I didn't properly let myself heal or recover or, or rest from my injury because I didn't think that that was an option. So that's just one, you know, I think very nuanced story of, of like where this can lead. But the, the overall theme here is like, when we say this, this toughness, when we like slap that on something or say that in a phrase for our athletes, what do we actually mean? And what are we actually trying to get to? Because oftentimes I don't think coaches really even know themselves and athletes for sure don't know. So, um, yeah, I would love that. Yeah. One of the things that you wrote as well was that, um, it wasn't visible. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for you to explain, but then also hard for the coaches to believe you. And, again, we're, we're talking nuance here, but this is important because uh, again, otherwise it can just be a throwaway that we keep using and we keep passing down to more and more generations that, that that is what toughness is. And, and I don't believe that for a second. Um, I had similar experiences in that Aussie rules football in Australia is uh, a very physical sport. It's, demands a lot of you physically and mentally and is very masculine driven in its, in its ethos and, and in its heroism. So everything that is shown to you from the old days, the the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, the great days of the sport is around toughness. And, and in that realm, it's, it's playing through that pain and fighting. Those were the two things that were held up as the bastions of the game. And then, and so that is kind of still ingrained in it. And whilst I never had any coaches that I felt unsafe with from an injury perspective, I dealt with hamstring injuries from about 15. And at that state, at 15, you don't even know what a hamstring is. Right. <laughs> so to explain an injury that is unseen to to someone as you're 15 16 and and just kind of growing into your body and trying to understand it to explain that it is in pain and that you can't play let alone all the other things like pushing through you can't push through a hamstring injury i'll tell you that right now there is no way you can barely even roll over in bed mm -hmm. with a, a light sheet on top of your feet when your hamstring's injured <laughs> let alone play through it and so yeah, again, it, it, it causes a lot of anxiety because the player obviously wants to play but can't explain it and it can't be seen. And so we, we just kind of push people back. And I don't want us to continue to hand that down the line. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And that completely resonates with me. Um, 
like I said, my injury was more of like a chronic wear and tear thing where, um, you know, it, it couldn't be seen unless you were looking at an MRI. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I never felt like, uh, that was taking into account or it didn't, it wasn't valid <laughs> the pain I was in. And, and I eventually started believing myself that, well, maybe I'm not in that much pain or maybe, um, you know, maybe I am over exaggerating what this is. And, uh, I think too, something to, to keep in mind here is like, why, why are we asking our players as coaches to be tougher or to, why do we want them to push through those sorts of things? Um, what's kind of the root of that. And if it, like, for me, I I've seen examples of like, it's because I'm frustrated as a coach that I'm down more players than I thought I was in practice. And now I'm mad and I need, you know, more players. And now my whole practice plan is messed up. So I'm going to retaliate and like, take that out on the player to, um, no, there's like actually a very specific thing when it comes to toughness. Like I really want us to be more aggressive after, or like be better with our mistake response. So, um, once we make a mistake, I want us to like be able to be conscious and present and come back to the moment and then like figure out what to do from there. That to me is like an explicit specific example of how to be mentally tough. And that's helpful when a coach goes to that sort of specificity. But when you just say like, <laughs> we need you to be tougher. We need, we need you to be a better teammate. We need you to play harder. Um, there's just a lot of confusion there, a lot of ambiguity there. And I think players start creating their own stories of what that means. And if it doesn't align with what the coach thinks it means, it's not good. So. Yeah. The one for me that I think of in that instance is, well, at this time of year, everyone's carrying injuries or yeah, the flop, the, the knock on of that is well in the playoffs, everyone's carrying an injury. So it, it, we're almost, mm. I want you to practice it, which is, is kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, but, and, and that's yeah. kind of the nuance of it, right? It's, it's being beaten up a little bit is different than what we're talking about. Right. Yes. Yeah. And two, there, there can be pressures put on um, medical staffs and athletic training staffs. If, uh, you know, there is this, this urge to get players back and, and this urge to like, um, have players back on the court or whatever it is like the, there is pressure put on medical staffs. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not, the medical staffs are doing the best they can and doing what's in the best interest for the athlete. But sometimes when there's that pressure, it's like hard to distinguish like what I, what I should do and like how fast I should progress this athlete back to the court. Um, it just doesn't allow your headspace to assess the situation and, um, you know, act in an appropriate way when, yeah, we just resort to throwing, you know, this, this quick bandaid fix of like, Oh, we just got to be tougher, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, I think my hope would be that as coaches, um, we have just a lot more intentionality around those sorts of blanket statements, um, play harder, be tougher, um, and really think about what we're trying to say when we say those things and communicate that in the most effective way we can. Um, I just think both in the short term and the long term, that would be way more fruitful. Yeah. So let's flip it around then. 
because you've obviously thought about it and I certainly have, I, I have a whole page of notes on this. What is toughness to you or mental toughness? So I don't even like using the phrase mental toughness anymore. <laughs> I don't yeah. even, it's not even in my vocabulary anymore. Um, I've really flipped that to, I guess I, I split it into two things like mental wellness and consciousness or presence mm. maybe. Um, and so I think when we say mental toughness, at least in my experiences, what I think coaches mean by that, <laughs> um, a lot of times is being present and not reacting to something that happened or not worrying about something that might happen, but being present in the moment and being able to understand any emotions or feelings that come up and use them as intelligence to act in an appropriate way. Um, like I said, rather than having some sort of negative or mistake response or um, dwelling on something from the past or worrying about something that might happen. So to me, that's like mental toughness, air quotes, because I don't like using that phrase, but that, that, that to me is we need to shift from this idea of mental toughness to sort of consciousness or presence and awareness um, and really promote that in a person. Um, and then mental wellness to me is, is kind of along the same lines, but, but really, and in that, that's like a big umbrella statement too, but um, when it comes to performance in particular, yeah, I think it's, it's having an awareness of your own body, of your own mental state, um, knowing what your limits are. So instead of um, trying to push yourself to whatever limit your coach sets for you or whatever, like actually understanding what your limits are and understanding when you're getting close to them and what to do um, to not go over the limit, because that's, that's where the detriment kind of starts, but to push yourself to your limits. Um, cause that, you know, there's this dance of like, we're talking about how these things can be detrimental, but overcoming adversity and like having some sort of like dog and you're like, that's a part of sport. And that's like, you don't want to lose that, right? I'm not saying like diminish that part of you. Um, but there is an awareness piece that I think is missing in a lot of current structures, um, that I think should be brought to the forefront. I think that would take care of a lot of things under the category of mental toughness. Yeah. Particularly in team sports, I actually really don't like the degree with which we individualize within team environments. Mm -hmm. um, my perspective has always been to coach the team. And, and what that does is it brings in an element of support to each individual for things like where their limits are. So if you are going to push through your limits, do it with your mates. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, just being flogged by a, a you know, a trainer or a coach that's just like one-on-one -on -one making you do suicides. So like, no, 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 let's do the suicides as a group so that we're all yeah. here together. And because we, we just, we know the impact of having, other people around us that's why we that's why we have trainers in the gym is because we push an extra rep out with yeah. that accountability partner with us um and then i'd love to build on top of of what you said and your definition <laughs> and i'm i'm gonna 
I'm going to riff off Simon Sinek here. So I want us to consider toughness to be closer to optimism. Mm. And so when Simon talks about optimism, he says it's the undying belief that the future is bright, but it's not a denial of the current state. Mm -hmm. And so I want us to think about toughness in that similar way in that to be tough, what I think toughness is, is an undying belief that the future is bright, Mm -hmm. but not denying the current state. And so if you think about that in terms of an injury, for instance, denying the current state would be, I'm going to push through this. When you know that you can't, there is a a clear problem here. However, you can look optimistically at the, the future and say, but here's all the things that I can do to get myself better so that I can return um, to, to doing what I love or Similarly, in a, in a game, you know, if you're not in a, if you don't have your shooting rhythm, which happens, mm-hmm. not denying that state. So kind of playing on your consciousness thing, having the consciousness to, to say, okay, I don't have it tonight. Not denying that state, but looking positively uh, about the future in that, you know, it's going to come back. It will come back. But what, what are the things that I can do that might be able to impact this game right now that for me is toughness Mm -hmm. working through those issues not just being physically brutish and just smacking into people that's not tough yeah I don't think yeah I couldn't agree more and I'm thinking alongside of that too like in order for that sort of behavior to be fostered we're able to be in the moment and acknowledge what's going on, but be optimistic about the future. There has to be some sort of psychological safety net, right? That you're not fearing the current state or what that might mean for the future, what the current state might mean for the future. Like, am I going to, if I can't get out of this shooting slump, like, yeah, I'm acknowledging I'm in a shooting slump right now, but maybe it's hard to be optimistic because I know I'm just going to get pulled and like sat on the bench if I keep missing shots or Maybe with an injury, it's, um, yeah, I acknowledge I'm injured. I I probably can't push any further. I need to stop. But then worrying about, well, what does that mean from my coach's point of view, from my teammates' point of view? Am I letting them down? Is it going to come back to bite? When I come back to play, my spot going to be taken? Like all of these things that creep in, I think we can build environments um, where those don't creep in as easily for the athletes in those situations. So it's, I think it's twofold. I think, yes, the athletes have to be in that state of mind and practice that um, and learn what that means. I think that's a part of coaching is teaching athletes how to do that. Um, But then coaches providing that psychological safety net in that, in that environment where, you know, it's um, it's okay to, not be at your best today. And and it's okay if, you know, that that's going to happen and that's normal and um, you don't have to worry about the future. You mentioned before the word incentives, Mm. that you were incentivized. And that's where my mind goes when you're talking about creating those environments is what we've done a really good job of is acknowledging that we need to create safe environments for people to play around with their talents and play around with you know whatever discipline they're in 
I don't think we've done a particularly good job of changing the incentives that we had in those environments to actually incentivize the right behavior that we want. So we've, we've got the words on the wall now, everyone's got them, everyone's talking about psychological safety. We can say we have it, but if you don't change the underlying incentives, you're not going to actually change the behavior. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the next step that we need to go through is, okay, well, if, we're saying, if we're saying team performance and we're rewarding the MVP for the best point scorer, that is a misaligned incentive that is going to drive behavior a particular way. Yeah, that's so spot on. I'm curious from your point of view, because I've thought about this maybe at the youth level or the amateur level where you can create um, practices and creative scoring and whatever you want with, with that and you know incentivize positive mistake response or incentivize um, some sort of consciousness or rather than how many points you score or whatever. So you, you can kind of play with that, but at the high performance level, it's a little more difficult to do that. So I'm curious how you would do that, how you would go about doing that, like re-incentivizing, restructuring how you're incentivized to, um, yeah, bring those things more to light and more, be mm. more accessible to the players, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's tough, right? And it's, it's so individual to the, the, if we're talking about the North American sports, right? right. Like, the the labor agreements in the nba for instance drive particular incentives <laughs> so uh, you know if i were to make a broad statement if my shoe deal is bigger than my basketball deal what do you think my incentive is going to be in in my performance right. i i want to be at the top of the score sheet so that my face is on sports center so that my shoe deal is worth more because that's paying me more than, than what the basketball team is paying me. And so that becomes tough. <laughs> and that is, that is the craft of coaching is how do you take that labor deal that is completely out of your control and weave that into a, a team performance. Um, and I mean, where I tend to go in this conversation is still to the, if you ask the highest performers what they actually want to do, they still know the power of a championship ring. And when you start to unpack that, and this is that whole Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan story again, Michael, what do you want? I want to win championships. Well, my role I can help you do that as the coach, but it requires all these other people to be involved because you can't do it on your own. You've won all the scoring titles already and we haven't got anywhere. So maybe we could try something else. And so I still think that narrative exists. I think that the top, whatever sport you're in, the championship ring still holds true at a certain point, maybe not the youngsters when they're like 23 and they, they, <laughs> they haven't quite figured it out yet. It might not be there, but when they get to like 27, 28, and I know they're running out of time, the ring comes back. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think you can play around in there. Um, but again, it, there's so many social elements that, that also impact that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And it's so different for, you know, the 
less than 1% that's playing at that elite level and then sort of everybody else and then everybody below that. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating to think about, but there's so much opportunity there in my opinion that we could experiment more with. Um, so I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So do I, well, let's keep going on, on the, the youth angle. Cause I know you're moving into that space and, and, you know, working on some exciting projects in that space. What is it that captivates you about the work with, you know, the youth and, and that level and, and kind of molding the future Mm -hmm. uh, leaders in our world that don't necessarily always go on to that, be that 1%. Yeah. Well, I think you just hit part of it. Um, the societal impact it could have to mold, you know, young leaders and, uh, through sport, um, that part really invigorates me. And I know personally, um, what it means to be touched by sport at that age. Um, and have it change my life and, and be a framework for how to live my life. Um, so I, I guess I've taken my positive experiences and then also some of my negative ones. And, and I've looked at those and I've looked at, um, you know, sort of how things are being done now. And, and I see the, the scale moving towards a more competitive performance um, focused environment, even for eight, nine, 10 year olds or younger. And I just, I hesitate to support that. I, I think it could be done differently. And, um, from, for many reasons, um, a lot of which we're discussing here, even with professional athletes, but starting to ingrain these sorts of, um, skills into youth through sport. Um, like I mentioned before, consciousness and sort of having a presence and, and being able to have optimism about it and knowing confidence, even um, knowing the work you put in and that, you know, maybe the slump you're in right now, isn't going to last forever. Like these are all skills that you can take with you through your life as we know. And so teaching these skills through sport at the youth level is something that's really, really interesting to me and something I don't see being done enough. So that's kind of where we're looking to tap into. So I was sitting on a bus on the way to Dublin airport, we were talking before my wife's Irish. We spent a lot of time over there and just so happened that on the radio on the bus, they were talking about a study that had been done on employers mm -hmm. and who they liked to hire and, and why, and were there any commonalities, you know, in the, the top job performers in Ireland and so, you know, they, they go down the traditional routes. Is it this school? Is it, you know, this prestigious, they win some scholar award and whatever else. And it turns out both men and women, you know, they have a, a very strong um, men, men's and women's community game in the, or games, the Gaelic games in Ireland. And what the employers wanted was, kids that had played one of the team sports mm -hmm. and the reason was that they understood team dynamics and how to have conversations in a team environment way better than kids that had just been in school and kind of gone through on a more an individual track they could actually navigate difficult conversations being not being a leader being the leader um, you know, 
motivation, rallying a team, going through hardship, all these types of things. And it's funny because it, I hadn't really heard of like a study like that before. Mm. And then me sitting there as a team sport coach, I'm like, of course, mm-hmm. of course they can navigate all those things because that's what you do on a daily basis at practice in games. And so, yeah, like the, the impact can be so huge, even if it's just that, how to work in a team. Yeah. And I've heard of similar studies to that. I, I haven't heard that specific data, which is really interesting, but Another study that I've come across, which is, this is another reason why, you know, going into the youth space um, is appealing to me right now is like 70% of kids in the United States right now drop out of sport by the age of 12. So 70% that start sport drop out by the age of 12. And the main reason is because it's not fun. Like all these other reasons below that, you know, um, misguided coaching, maybe they're not getting opportunities, which would be playing time. They're not getting enough reps. Um, and the list goes on oh, burnout, you know, over specialization. So that number is just getting larger and larger year by year. Like how many kids are dropping out of sport and, if the main reason is because they're not having fun, like to me, that's, that's a, that's an easy fix. Um, but it's kind of a big mountain to climb right now, but especially in the U S, um, based on how the youth sports system is structured compared to say like in Europe (laughs) where, you know, the developmental there's long-term development plans for the athletes over there. Um, they're not just trying to win tournaments every weekend, they actually have a curriculum in place and a framework in place to develop the kids in an age, kids in an age appropriate way year after year. And they have continuity with their coaches. And, you know, in the United States, like the turnover of how many coaches you have within a year and like how many teams you play on and how many different tournaments, it's crazy. And so these kids alongside of not having fun, like there's no real stability or ability to measure your development in a way or like, you know, assess whether or not you're developing because you're just going from team to team to team. So it's really fascinating. I think, um, you know, there's, there's an interesting place there where we can investigate further and try and, um, maybe steer the ship in a different direction, but yeah, it's all interesting. That's for sure. But, but as you mentioned, um, sport can be an incredible vessel for these sort of life skills and leadership skills. And, um, I just think that's really exciting and can have great societal impact if we can foster that. Yeah. So true. And geez, haven't we learned that lesson through what we've just been through and Mm -hmm. the removal of sport and still, I mean, there's not a lot of even recreational leagues that are back playing at any sort of level. And, And so the removal of that uh, the camaraderie that comes with it, the, the, the social element, but then also that development development within our, our kids. Yeah. And the next generation has been taken away as well. And so, you know, the, yeah, there's a bit of stunted growth there, but um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how it bounces back because I think it's actually going to bounce back stronger than it was previous yeah. to it because we've had it taken away. <laughs> for sure for sure i'm just as excited <laughs> they're all obviously going to go back and play aussie rules because now <laughs> now everyone knows what that is <laughs> right right uh so 
for as you look back on you know your experience at, at the professional basketball level and and your experience as a player what would you pass on right now you know it doesn't need to be your autobiography but what would you pass on to people that look at you uh, and to you for some some advice and some guidance on you know coaching and basketball and, and performance and where you've been in the last couple of years um from the athlete perspective or from the coach's perspective or does it matter <laughs> let's do both oh boy oh man yeah um from the coaching perspective like i really i think that one of my main values there is is sort of these things we're talking about like bringing what i think are very important um points of emphasis to the forefront with the players so first of all establishing trust with your players and and um letting them know that you're i think as you say partners in their performance um you're there to help and support and uh knocking down that sort of like power imbalance and um being you know yeah a person of trust for that player is step one and that's something i i prioritize and as an athlete looking the other way that's something i valued a lot in in the coaches that um, impacted me the most. So yeah, really, um, establishing that trust, finding ways to establish trust before you're just, you know, giving instruction or demanding certain things from your players. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think from a player perspective, it's, it's really the same thing. Like, uh, you have your own intrinsic motivation and you obviously love the sport you're playing, but, um, the coaches that, take the time to really invest in your development and not just your development in your sport, but like your personal development, um, and really see you for who you are and value you as an individual, um, cling to those coaches, man. <laughs> if you find one of those, whoo, uh, cling to them. I, 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 yeah, I have a list of coaches I can name that did that for me. And that's something I hope to, to do for others as a coach. And, um, yeah, something I hope, you know, more athletes get to experience because it's really a game changer. Yeah, me too. I'm working on solving that problem mm. and making sure that the right people get into the, the coaching circles, get the right support infrastructure around them so that they can take better care of the athletes. Uh, we, we haven't done that correctly. Um, right the way through the system like there is systemic change that's required there you know even at the basic level of there's very little in coach education around emotion consciousness awareness any of those things you just jump straight into tactics and talking about you know this x moves to here and here's why and so that's kind of been backwards. And so, yeah, there's, there's some great people that I've met along the way that are also trying to solve that problem. So I'm, I'm confident we get that ship shape. Mm -hmm. And so that it can be fun. It, and here's the thing. It, it's not even fun for the coaches right now. Right. I don't see, I don't see a lot of coaches having a lot of fun and they should be having fun with it too, as well as our players. Totally agree. Yeah. I'm excited to see the work. Um, I mean, you have been doing so much work in that area, but you know, it's come to fruition and 
I would love to to learn anything you guys, you know, develop or have. And I, this is a subject I'm like very passionate about too, because yeah, I think we underestimate um, the impact of a coach just at all levels. <laughs> um, specifically, I think at the professional level, I think it's undervalued, like how important um, a coach who understands the things you just mentioned and, and practices those on a daily basis, like how big of a difference that can really make. Um, not just, you know, in, in the wins and losses column, column, but like culture wise, it's just, it can make a huge, huge difference. So yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and I'm happy you're finding a community of people that, that are passionate about that as well. Yeah, there really is a good community. I know, you know, in talking about the space that you're about to embark on, there's, there's some amazing people in there too, that are really passionate about, sport and and kids and and yeah i've found the same to be true ironically from people that are actually outside sport looking in going these people need some help mm-hmm. we've got some skills from medicine or you know all these different areas that are now looking and saying yeah let's let's structure these people up correctly yeah. so that's always positive as well yeah love it where can people follow you oh um i'm a hard one to track down no i'm on twitter and instagram um not super active but if you want to follow me go for it um i think my handle is Brittany, and then two underscores and the letter d i disagree with you you're a great follow on twitter you (laughs) (laughs) i've been more active as of late but I, i took a bit of a hiatus for a while yeah your gram could could do with some work but uh yeah <laughs> i'll work on it i'll work on it <laughs> no follow on on twitter um yeah your, your perspectives on there and, and again like that that thread is one example that we talked about earlier but yeah i i like i love following along with your your thoughts and even just kind of random things that you're seeing so yeah jump on your twitter and follow along and thanks for coming on I appreciate it a lot. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head to codyroyal.com or you can find me on Twitter. See you next time.